we are in a series called Eating with the Word. And up to this point, we've been going through the books of Leviticus and Numbers. And the idea behind this series is sort of like having Jesus over for dinner. The book of Leviticus, again, was very practical. It was kind of like the idea of setting the table, taking care of the, the practical things if you were to have the Lord over for dinner. And the book of Numbers was as though when the Lord came, you and he feasted on a meal that he provided. We spent the month talking primarily not only about the book of Numbers, but about the word of God, our Bibles, and the call we have to know him through them. And now this morning we transition into the book of Deuteronomy. And with this picture of, of having the Lord over for dinner, this would be the time after the meal when you sit and talk and share stories and memories. And these are the best kinds of dinners. The best kinds of dinners are the ones where everyone sits around the table afterwards sharing stories with one another, remembering. The dishes, they're still sitting on the table. No one has gotten up to clear them because everyone is engaged and everyone is sharing memories together recounting moments from their relationship together. The book of Deuteronomy is that kind of memory or remembering. It's the series of sermons that Moses gives before his people go to take the promised land. And it's his sort of farewell to his people because he's not going to be able to go with them. And so in Deuteronomy we have the last things that he wants his people to hear. And chapters 1 through 3 are kind of this recounting, this recalling of the events that have happened in the books leading up to that, in Exodus and in Leviticus and Numbers. They talk about victories and defeats, moments where God's people got it right and moments when God's people got it very, very wrong. But they're talking about the stories and then we get to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 to 40. Please stand as we read the scripture this morning. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created human beings on the earth, Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm? Or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and by his great strength. 
to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving to you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Please be seated. So Moses has described the events that have led up to where they are now. And then he says those words at the beginning of our passage. Ask now about the former days, long before your time. From the day God created human beings on the earth, has anything like what I have called you to ever been heard of before? And the answer, of course, is no. This is a God who chose his people, who called them and stayed with them through thick and through thin. And then Moses, he describes the unique relationship between Israel and God. He, he talks about how God spoke out of a burning bush that was on fire but did not burn up. And then again, how he spoke on Mount, at Mount Sinai. How he rescued them from Egypt and sustained them in the desert. How he chose them. And as you read the passage, it has this interesting effect. It sort of builds, right? As we read through it, it sort of builds in excitement. You've heard all about the history of God working in the world, working to redeem and rescue Israel. You've heard now about the miraculous demonstrations of God's love and power, and it's building to this crescendo. And then he says, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there's no other. And if we're paying attention, that makes us stop. It makes us pause for a moment. He says, you were shown these things. Those events in Egypt were 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And 40 years passed precisely so that the people standing before God today would not be the same as the people who witnessed those events. That was the reason for the wilderness wanderings. God called that generation to die in the wilderness, and the younger generation who had not rebelled to be the ones to enter into the promised land. So they weren't there. But why does Moses talk about them as though they were? Then there's an even clearer example of this at the beginning of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 say this. Hear, Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb, or Sinai. It was not with our ancestors that the Lord made this covenant, but with us, with all of us who are alive here today. In other words, you weren't there, but you were. In other words, these things happened before you were born, but you were there. You were part of them too. Now, I really want you to hear this this morning. This is an important part, a vital part of God's story for you to get. When you read this book, 
not just the book of Deuteronomy, but the word of God as a whole. God wants you to know that you are one of the characters in it. You are one of the characters in it. When we read the Bible, it can be easy to feel disconnected from it. It happened so very long ago. Parts of it are weird or strange or difficult. And we might even be led to ask the question, why does this matter so much? Why is it so important for me to go and sit in it, chew on it, and hear it? It matters because of this. God has no grandchildren. That's something that Pastor Ken used to say that always stuck with me. God has no grandchildren. When you follow Jesus, you're not inheriting someone else's story. Following Jesus is not a genetic trait. You cannot be born saved. It's your encounter, your encounter with the risen Jesus that matters for you. His relationship with you will be unique. It will be different than it was for anyone else. No one gets into the family of God because their parents were especially holy. It matters that you encounter Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior. And so what we learn from Deuteronomy chapter 4 is that God's people were not part of a continued line. They were among the first generation of God's people. And that every generation afterward was also part of the first generation. God has no grandchildren. Each generation encounters encounters him in a unique and special way. So, how does that affect us? Right, God's people are here being told by Moses that the covenant God made with their ancestors was made also with them. It's theirs. They have to encounter and accept him themselves. How does that affect us. What it means is that you and I are also part of the first generation of Jesus followers. You and I are part of the first generation of Jesus followers. And that should completely change the way that we understand our faith. It should change the way we read the Bible. And it should change the way we see ourselves as part of our church. Because it was not someone far in the past. When we read the Gospels, it wasn't someone long ago that Jesus speaks to. He speaks to us. Now, of course, we have to have wisdom. We have to have discernment. Not every word uttered by Jesus was speaking directly to you. That was the subject of John's sermon a few weeks ago, John Norland's sermon, and it was wonderful. But Jesus speaks, and he wants you to hear. So, it wasn't someone far in the past Jesus spoke to, it was us. When you read your Bible, you're not reading a book from long ago that has nothing to do with you anymore. I think we have a picture. When you encounter the scriptures, you encounter the God that is told about within them, the God 
who called them to be made. And because of his spirit, the dynamic work of the Holy Spirit, you encounter him in the midst of a book written thousands of years ago. And if you've read the Bible for very long, you know that this is true. If it's not happened to you, it's happened to someone that you know. At some point, as you're diving into God's Word and you're reading through the Gospels or the letters or some part from the Old Testament, all of a sudden, something happens and you realize in that moment that God has something to say to you. Something that your heart needs to hear. Something that applies directly to where you are in your life. Jesus has a message for you. And the reason is this. This book wasn't written for people long ago. It was written for them, but it's written for us too. Remember, you were there. Jesus is speaking to you. When you read his words, when you read through the Gospels, you need to know that Jesus is speaking to you. There's one passage that really jumps out at me as being especially easy for us to see this with, or especially important for us to see this with, and it's Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And this is the the very last words in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. His followers have seen him. They've encountered the risen Jesus. And these are the last words he has in the Gospel of Matthew. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, what I mean when I'm saying that you were there, right, it's it's different for us than it was For Israel in the Old Testament, we are on opposite sides of the cross, but we are part of God's people too, part of the new covenant. And so what I mean when you were there is that there, as Jesus is giving his great commission, you're one of the people the great commission is being given to. It's not that we we read this and we think, okay, so this is what the apostles were supposed to do. And we're their spiritual descendants. We're God's great, 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 great grandchildren. That's not it at all. This great commission is for you as well. Moses would say it this way, remember you were there. Maybe you can find yourself in that painting. That'd be a bit of a surprise, actually, but who knows? Those words are not just words for a long-ago time. They're words for you to hear today. When we do the imaginative prayer exercises on Sunday morning during our prayer time, 
Maybe for some of you, I know that, that it's just kind of odd and it's not really connected with you. And no one has really complained about them and I'm very thankful for that, but I know that they miss some of us and that's okay. I know for others, they're very deep and rich experiences, encounters with the Lord. But the idea behind those is to, rem- to think about the story, to realize that in the story, you are there, one of the characters in the story. As Jesus gives his great commission, he gives it to you. I really want you to grab a hold of that. Now, you can go through the Gospels, you can go through the letters, you can find all these times outside of this one that Jesus or one of the apostles speaks to you. There's so, so many. But I'm grabbing onto this one because it's at the core of what it means for us to be followers of Jesus. He says, go and make disciples. And one of the things that's easy for us to do is for us to just sit back and feel like, okay, that's what they were supposed to do. And because they were supposed to do that, we now have this church to come and sit in and be fed. But Jesus doesn't want us to go. Jesus doesn't call us to make disciples. That was for someone else. See, when we read Scripture that way, we can distance ourselves. And that's very convenient because a lot of the times Jesus says something that says things that are very, very uncomfortable. As long as I can think he's not really talking to me when he says that my wealth is a spiritual trap that's easy to fall in, I can think, well, that was true for them. But fortunately, Jesus would never say anything like that to me. When he says that he will not know us unless we are caring for the marginalized, the poor, the hungry, the sick among us, we say, well, man, that sure was a strong call for those people at that time. But Jesus wasn't speaking to me. Moses would say, yes, he was. You were there. Now, as Moses goes on in the book of Deuteronomy, he has a lot of things to say to God's people at the time, a lot of calls for them to aim for, to strive for, a lot of ways to honor God, to know him, and to follow his law and his commands. And as we dive into Deuteronomy, I think you're going to be very blessed by those. And much of that still applies to us today, but that's not the core of what I want you to hear today. The book of Deuteronomy is essentially, at its core, a book that tells us to remember that when God speaks to his people, he speaks to them all. Not to his people at a certain time, he speaks to them all. Our Lord speaks to you. And so what that must do for us when we read a passage like this one at the end of Matthew, where he says, go and make disciples. When he says, I'm with you, even till the end of the age. You see, we hear that I'm with you, and we take comfort in it, and we should. We are never 
alone. God never desires to be away from us. No trial or tribulation or struggle or suffering that we will ever go through will be alone. He's always there. But it means something else too. We think about the life that the apostles had, being able to follow Jesus for three years, to hear his teaching, to speak with him, to be with him, to literally follow in his footsteps. And Jesus tells us, those of you that are coming later, don't get out of this because I'm not here. I am. Your situation is not different from theirs. I'm speaking to you and I'm leading you. Remember, you were there. So what does the Great Commission have for us? What does the Lord have to say to us? What does go and make disciples mean in our lives today? What does Jesus call us to? Well, first, we need to think about how he calls us to use our lives. There's another picture here. Oh, that's a little early, actually. I put these in the wrong order. Can you show the next one? I love this picture of Jesus. It's not entirely accurate. He probably didn't have green eyes. But it's a picture that shows for me when I see it. The Lord feels like he's looking right at me. He's not looking at someone else. He's not preaching a sermon for other people to hear. He has something to say to me. He has something to say to you. Go and make disciples. So how do we fulfill that? How do we follow this call from the Lord? We do it with our very lives. One of the questions every Christian has to ask themselves is what is my specific calling? How does God want me to live my life? Am I called to be a missionary? Have you ever asked yourself if you're called to be a missionary? Now this is something for young people to decide as they go to school and as they choose their first careers, of course, they should chew on this and really wrestle. Has God called me to literally go to another nation and tell people about the Lord who've never heard about him before? And the answer is some of the times, yes. But one of the things we like to do is we like to say, remember that's Jesus speaking to other people. He would never call someone who wasn't a young person to leave his home and go somewhere else to tell people about God, except that we're talking about Moses, right? He's 80 years old when God calls to him and says, go. He's 80. We don't get to say God's talking to someone else. We have to wrestle with, when he says go and make disciples, does he mean literally Go. If you've never wrestled with that because you've assumed it could only be about someone else, I want to tell you, you need to ask God, what's your calling? Perhaps your calling is to be single. We live in a culture today where college students come home and one of the first things they're asked about is, so are you dating anyone? 
Young people get into their mid-20s and people start asking when they're going to get married. Married couples get married and as soon as they are, people start asking, when are you going to have babies? It's this expectation we have that there's an American story that everyone is supposed to live and feel called to. But maybe God calls you to singleness. If you're single today, you need to go to the Lord and you need to ask, God, is this what you've called me to? If you're married today, you can be sure he has not called you to be single. Right? That calling is different. But you need to hear this. Jesus tells us, go. And for me, that means one thing. For you, that will mean something different. For the person sitting next to you, that may mean something else entirely. He's not speaking to other people. He's speaking to you. When he said go to the apostles, they scattered. They went in different directions and they preached the gospel to all corners of the world. What does he mean when he tells you go? One of the ways we we go, one of the ways we go and make disciples, one of the ways we tell people about Jesus is with our dinner table. I don't know what your table looks like. I literally just typed in dinner table. So if there's anything on there that shouldn't be, I'm not endorsing anything. (laughs) We've been talking all year about how we use our dinner table. And we've encouraged you to have dinner with your family. We've encouraged you to to have dinner with, with friends or acquaintances that you've not had over before. Then we've encouraged you to have dinner with each other, to invite other people from Calvary over for dinner. The last phase of eating and doing is to ask an acquaintance to come. Someone that's really a stretch for you, that's not someone you're comfortable asking, would you like to come over for dinner? Now I imagine that most of us hear that and we think, whew, I wonder who that's for. I wonder who's supposed to ask an acquaintance to come over for dinner because I know that's not for me. What if it is? What if you know someone who needs to be invited over? Who needs to know that there's someone that cares enough about them that they would have them over for a meal? Who needs to know who Jesus is? And what Jesus' followers are like. What if there's someone who's in your orbit that you're not entirely comfortable with, that the Lord has put there so that you'll ask them to come for dinner? Because when Jesus says go, a lot of the times the way we hear it is it's for someone else. Or what he means is go as you feel comfortable what if he wants you to stretch? When he says go, he wants you to give him your dinner table. Let that be a place of worship. Let that be a place where you invite those that need to share a meal with you to come and share a meal with you. In another way that Jesus tells us to go, 
He tells us that our relationship with him is going to be unique. Your calling and mine are different. Maybe you're called to be a pastor, but still, your calling and mine are different. Your calling from your friends or the other people at church is different in some way. No two people are called in exactly the same way. But when we engage with Jesus, when we dive into his word, when we hear him say, go, and we ask, what do you mean for me, Lord? There's only one way for us to find out. We have to ask him. We hear from him in here, in his word. We encounter him, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that word is fresh for us. He says things to us that hit us in ways that are different than they hit anyone else. And if you have a habit of reading the Bible, then you know that there's times that you hear what you didn't know you needed to hear because the power of the Holy Spirit is at work, and his voice is fresh to you. But he also speaks to you in prayer. When you go to him, can we have that picture of Jesus back? When we go to him, he's not speaking to someone else, he's speaking to us. And the Bible says that when we pray, we literally step into God's throne room. We come before the throne of grace. We stand in front of him. And we're encouraged today to say, Jesus, what do you mean when you tell me to go? What do you have for me to do? If you've never prayed that prayer, that's my encouragement for you today. Before you close your eyes to go to sleep tonight, spend some time in the throne room of God and ask him that question. Jesus, when you tell me to go, how, where, what do you mean for me? And be open. Be ready to hear something that's challenging. And another way that Jesus speaks to us is through his body. It's amazing sometimes the way that we are unaware of the ways that God has gifted us. You might be a person who's gifted as an encourager, but you just don't feel like that's the case. And you won't find out until you ask the people around you, how am I gifted? We've tried to provide ways for that to happen. We've had our spiritual gifts inventories. We had those flames that we gave you with the prayer, the prayer labyrinth. But nothing is a substitute for you speaking to the other followers of Jesus in your life who know you well and can speak truth and say you're gifted in this way, whether you know it or not. Moses tells God's people, it was you. You were there. That's true for us today. Standing before the Lord, telling you to go. That the job of making disciples is not someone else's, it's yours. And my, my encouragement, my challenge, my call to you this morning is to go to the Lord and say, Lord, how? What does that mean for me? And to listen. And then to have the faith to say yes, no matter what it is that he tells you. Father God, we are so thankful, so blessed by you. There is no way for us to ever fully realize the depth of your love 
for us the depth of the blessing we have in you. Lord, you know us at our best, and you know the worst of us. You know those parts of ourselves that are so ugly we don't like to look at them. And still you forgive, you accept, and you love us if we come to you and ask you to. And so, Father, we pray that you help us all to follow you, to never feel like we are not the ones called to follow you. We are not the ones called to listen because we know that you're speaking to us. Give us the courage to hear what you have to say. Give us the eyes and the ears of faith to be aware of how you're at work in and around and through us. And give us the faith to say yes when you call us to go. We pray these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.